0: Is your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today I welcome Ranya Anderson to the show. Ranya, welcome.
1: It's a pleasure to be with you, Caroline.
0: Oh, I am delighted. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. We're going to be talking about male advocates and also high-caliber women in the workplace. So let's let's get started because you have such a fascinating background. You know, it is a particularly visceral time in the Me Too era, and a lot of the focus around equality in the workplace is about telling men what not to do. And in your new book, and we're going to dive in deeply, you have a different focus. So explain what to do. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, I found in my work that, and during this time, this focus on what not to do is only helpful to some extent. And what I encountered was a lot of men in my work asking me for, okay, I'm starting to understand more and more about what I'm not supposed to do, but what is it that I am supposed to do? Mm. And I found that we weren't providing men and managers, frontline managers with that guidance. And that was really the focus, that is the focus of my new book, We, Men, Women, and the Decisive Formula for Winning at Work intended to give managers and most of whom are men mm-hmm. the specific tools and actions they can take so it's built around a framework of four types of behaviors things to stop doing relationships to expand and how to do them for example not just being a mentor but also being a sponsor how to encourage women to advance and take on more complicated and higher risk roles, and then how to engage in initiatives in your company as a manager or a man who wants to um, advance women in the workplace to have more gender parity at work.
0: Rania, I'm so thrilled to hear you talk about this. And again, your book is extraordinary because it's not them and us, it is we. So thank you for bringing us all together. Let me say though, the reality is that we hear stories about the men who get it wrong, right? The headline-making cases regarding sexual harassment, for example. Do you think these tales are representative of most men, and what are we losing when we only focus on the negative stories?
1: I, I don't think the the stories of the most high-profile men that we hear the most about are representative of men. I think that. All of us have unconscious bias and act, you know, many people have acted inappropriately, not to that extent. And I think when we focus only on these most egregious situations, two things happen. If you are a man who is not doing those things, but you're not acting well, you think, oh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm not doing what Harvey Weinstein is doing or. Uh, what Charlie Rose did, so I'm, I'm doing okay, when in reality, that man is not doing the right types of things. And when we focus only on these negative stories, we don't give men the opportunity to see other men doing it right, doing it well. You know, we use this analogy, we can't be what we can't see, usually when we talk about underprivileged people, but everyone is in that case. If men don't see that other men are acting appropriately and leading and working together with women, then they don't know how to do that. In in my career, I've coached and worked with many, many men and have had many men who have done right by me, have been done right by my organization, the companies I worked for. And I know many women who have lots of stories of men who have um, mentored them, sponsored them, promoted them, made space for them, worked collaboratively with them, and yet those stories are not being shared.
0: And, and I'm grateful for you shining a spotlight on that because we need to celebrate the good as well. And, and I too have had great supporters who are men throughout my, my career for whom I'm eternally grateful. There's a ton of research out there, the business case for having more women at all levels of an organization, especially leadership roles. But give us your overview of why gender balance is really important in the workplace.
1: As you said, we've we've shared so much of this data, what we know, I think what your listeners know, what hopefully most people now know is that companies that are run by gender diverse teams, both at the senior leadership level and at the board level are more productive, they're more profitable, they're more creative, they're more innovative. And it's just common sense, really. We know we've all had the experiences when we're with a very similar, homogeneous group of people, we all know the same things and the same people and the same information. And therefore, we don't tackle an issue as broadly or deeply as we do when we have people who are coming at that issue or opportunity in a different way. And we're seeing that Uh, played out a lot in the workplace one of the things that I like to talk about when I'm asked about this question is what is the case for the status quo
0: Mm.
1: you know we're often asked you know what's the business case for gender parity and I flip that around and I say well what's the business case for keeping it the way it is And then we're, as women, not in the place of having to defend a change, but rather making the people who are in the status quo defend why what we currently have is the right way to continue.
0: I love that reframe. I really do. That is very smart. So let's dive into some specifics. Let's get, let's get a little wonky, shall we? You've sure. developed what you call the WE 4.0 framework, and you lay out four key actions that will maximize one's success and, and also business results. Walk us through that, and it's beautifully clear in the book, but give us, a, give us a little taste of what that's all about.
1: Great. So the first set of behaviors is around things to eliminate. And we can think very quickly about eliminating sexism or harassment. Obviously, those are um, very clear to us. But there are other types of things we can eliminate in the workplace that disadvantage women more than they disadvantage men. For example, if a manager regularly has a meeting a standing meeting that starts at 7 a.m. in the morning or starts at 4.30 p.m. in the afternoon, he is likely, or that manager could be a female manager having that meeting, that meeting is likely more adversely impacting women because in today's world, women are the ones still who carry the larger burden of child care. And those types of situations create... Tension for women or cause more stress that make them feel not as included or not as welcome or not as productive in their workplace, not able to integrate their work and life in the way that they want to. So it's looking for those kinds of things and eliminating them. One, you know, minor example, but these are the types of things that I'm talking about really small steps. When I was speaking to a group of uh, managers at a company, a manager raised his hand and he said he he realized that he stops by a female colleague's desk desk, usually right around five o'clock and engages her in a long conversation about some project and that she often seems not happy with his interaction and was realizing probably something else was going on for her. Sure, she should give him that feedback, but it's also good for him to make that observation. So that's eliminate. And the second is around expanding. So who as a manager or man are you interacting with? Are your interactions mostly with other men? Are you having lunch with other men? Are you calling on male clients? Are you spending all your time problem solving with people who are like you? And how do you expand that network to include more women and to include their voices? And how do you expand your role from being a mentor to being a sponsor? A sponsor is someone who advocates or champions someone and helps them advance in their career. And I'm going to stop right there for a moment because I think this is a really important point. We have told women for a few years now, that they should go and get a sponsor. We, we say, get, you know, get a sponsor. But we haven't taught managers and leaders how to be a sponsor. And my book, We, Men, Women, and the Decisive Formula for Winning at Work, really lays out the steps to how to be a good sponsor.
0: I'm grateful for that. And I think you're absolutely spot on. We've been saying for for a very long time, you know, utilize mentors, get a sponsor, but we're not teaching the sponsors how to be responsive and also uh, seek out people that are doing great work and recognize them and put their professional reputation on the line to support others. So thank you for your clarity on that. Rania, we'll be right back after a quick break. working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs send me an email at caroline at caroline com. Rania, I'd love to pick your brain about performance reviews. I know you have some very specific ideas about that, and I'd love to hear that today. Great.
1: So working early in my career in HR and then working with many companies around the world, we see that a lot of companies ask their employees to self-assess first, and then they give that self-assessment on the performance review form to their manager, and then their manager completes the performance review from there. I don't know if you've ever had that experience yourself. And yeah. what, what we see is that women assess themselves more harshly, they are harder on themselves than men are. So they rate themselves lower than their male colleagues do. And so when their manager gets that performance review, even if the manager is, is conscious enough to account for that, that the woman's review is sort of in the hole compared to, to her male peers, and even if the manager brings her up some, he still doesn't bring her up to the level of her male colleague. And so that's not a, a good way to do a performance review. I'll broaden that just a little to take it outside of the gender lens. The same thing holds true for people who are from cultures who, where it's not very keen to talk about yourself and promote yourself. And so, this practice of employee self-assessment first is actually not very positive for lots of employees.
0: So, so how do you coach women and men to approach that differently? Because what I I believe I heard you say is that women have such a sense of humility that we often undersell what we're doing. Right? We're we're so humble that we can be humble to a fault.
1: Right? Or we underrate what we did. I, I you know. It's like when you give a woman a compliment about something she's done at work, the first thing she tells you is what things didn't go well. And we teach women to just say thank you, right, not tell you all the things that went wrong. So, yes, so we have two two strategies the company, a company could change its practice and not have it go that way. It should just start with having the manager do the assessment of the employee and the employee then can add to that. Or the manager should sit down with his or her employees, women or people who have a hard time promoting themselves and talk about this phenomena and say, You know, you're very hard on yourself. You rate yourself lower than your peers do. I want you to think about that. Here's how we look at performance. You know, this is what a level three or level five means. Here's some of the things that I think you've done well, and I want you to account for all of that. So some coaching ahead of time.
0: Rania, thank you for your specificity there. I think that's gonna be transformational for so many people that are listening. They They need that exact language, so thank you for that. You know, it's interesting from my vantage point as a coach, working in organizations and working with individuals, I hear over and over again, we're looking to recruit and retain top talent, in particular women, we need more women. But there is a a disconnect, right? And there remains an imbalance when it comes to gender. So what's your advice about recruiting and retaining women?
1: So for different industries and different companies, it's going to vary. For some companies, it's where there are not many people with the skills they're looking for. The issue is looking harder and looking in different ways. An example that I would give... Is as I was talking to an engineering company, one of the things we recognized was that when their engineers were out at conferences or industry events, they were not thinking about the job openings that they had at their firm. And so making people, every person in your company, a recruiter, and making sure they know what positions are available and giving them some guidance on how to engage women in conversation at events, even if those women are not looking for jobs, but telling them about openings that you have. For other companies, they've done a good job recruiting women, but they're not keeping them. Women are leaving at at the five to seven year, the mid-career mark. And in those cases, then we need to look at retention issues. What's happening in the work environment, back to our earlier conversation, are there practices in your office that are discouraging to women or don't allow them to achieve all their goals, both their professional and uh, personal goals? And then how are managers treating employees And are women being engaged, provided opportunities for really meaningful projects and assignments and clients, or are those opportunities being reserved for people who are in the majority position and looking at those types of things to think about, okay, what do we need to do to keep keep the employees that we have?
0: Excellent, excellent. It's complex. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. Thank you for thinking, for thinking about it and sharing that comprehensive look. So, Rania, as we wrap up, uh, I'm sure you hear this a lot with your extraordinary work around the world. Women are saying, I don't feel listened to. I don't feel heard in my workplace. People talk over me in a meeting. So I ask, what steps can people, and by that I mean men and women do, to amplify women's voices?
1: Yes. I want to frame that question and really think about everything we've talked about. For many years now, we've been telling women what to do to advance themselves. And we will continue to do that. You and I will both continue to do that and we all have much to learn. It's sort of the lean in, right? And my focus in the book, We, is around what are the other people at that table, what are they doing when the women are leaning in? And that's really your question. What is our role as we're around that table? And there are many ways we can do that. When we hear a colleague being interrupted, we can look at the person interrupting them and just say, hey, Mary wasn't finished. Could you hold on a minute? I was really interested in what Mary was saying. We could, if that didn't work and Mary was interrupted, we could say, Mary, I don't think you were finished, can we go back to what you were saying? We can uh, ask Mary at that meeting, before the meeting to really speak up. We can bring back a point that Mary said, we can say, you know, Mary said earlier, X, Y, and Z, thanks for bringing this back up. So we all have roles, both men and women have roles in being allies, and and to use your great word, amplifying other women's voices, actually the voices of anyone who's not being heard clearly. This happens to introverts a lot, and and we can use some of the same strategies with them.
0: I love that, because you're really empowering uh, communities, cultures, bystanders to be accountable and support each other. Thank you for that. Ron, your, your book is extraordinary. It's called We, Men, Women, and the Decisive Formula for Winning at Work. And it is available on Amazon and all major book retailers. And I'm confident that our global listeners will check it out. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and expertise. What a joy to have you on the show.
1: Thanks, Caroline. It was great to be with you
0: thank you. And if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud, and even better, leave us a review. And let me tell you why that helps. People can find us online. It's a beautiful reality of algorithms. So please leave us a review and it'll direct more people to the show. And do let us know what career-minded issues you would like for us to discuss on a future show. I'm on Twitter at cDowdhiggins.com. And I want to give a shout out to Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, our Executive Producer for Your Working Life. Thank you for the expert work you do to make this show awesome for our audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.